0: All you citizens.
1: Father in heaven, your glory is found on majestic thrones far beyond our reach and your glory is found amid the imperfection of the human family. Help us, we pray, to approach this hour, this day, and every day as a gift from you full of glorious possibilities and holy expectations. And we know this doesn't come naturally. Lord, our temptation is to be wrapped far too tightly around the cares of this life or to be so lost in the clouds that we miss your guiding presence leading us on the path that you have chosen for us. We thank you that your glory becomes reality in our lives, in our lives, through your guiding presence. It is wonderful that your Holy Spirit guides us. What a blessing. Help us to know your particular will for our lives. We ask that you would accept our worship. We pray in the name of your Son who taught us these words to pray. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Wonderful verses. I know we've all read through Philippians, probably, except for maybe some of the kids. But it's one of our favorite books in the New Testament. Therefore, God exalted him, that would be Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything that Jesus did, the Father planned for him to do. He did it all. The name Jesus certainly was quite a name to live up to. Do you know, do you remember that God gave Jesus his name? He told Mary through the Holy Spirit what to name that child. And do you remember what the name Jesus means? The Lord is salvation. Yeshua, the Lord is salvation. The name Jesus was chosen by his father. It was derided by men. It was feared by demons, worshipped by angels, and addressed by a dying thief on a cross as he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me. The thief needed a savior. When we read the words in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, it certainly appears that the thief recognized the meaning of the name Jesus. He didn't say, Lord, remember me. He said, Jesus, remember me. The thief addressed Jesus by his name. He needed a savior. He understood that Jesus was the Lord of salvation. And even though Jesus now sits at the right hand of God in heaven, his name is still Jesus. We just read it. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He is our Lord and Messiah. And whenever we talk about Jesus, we should be honoring the name that the Father gave to his Son. Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. Go right back to that. Well this is a close translation to a portion from Isaiah chapter 45 verse 23. I'm referring to the part that I have highlighted where it says the name of Jesus at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In Isaiah we read before me every knee will bow by me every tongue will confess. And then in Romans chapter 14, the apostle Paul used similar words. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So there's a subtle difference in the way Paul uses these words in Philippians chapter 2 verse 10. As compared to the words in Isaiah and in Romans. In Isaiah and Romans, we read, every knee will bow. In Philippians, we read, every knee should bow. Changing just one word makes a big difference in the meaning. The words that Isaiah prophesied and what Paul referred to in Romans tell us what all men will ultimately and unconditionally do all men will eventually bow before Jesus. In contrast, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, in the light of our Messiah's humiliation, his death, his ascension, bowing before Jesus is something that we should do. When we consider what the Messiah went through. We should be bowing before our Master. Indeed, the Apostle Paul was pointing out that Jesus earned the respect and honor that we should be giving to His name. Those who do not bow before Him now wait for the day when Isaiah's prophecy will be fulfilled. Then on that day they will bow they will bow down and confess the name of Jesus as their Lord. But we read in Scripture they will not inherit eternal life. Here on planet earth, there are two broad categories of people. This is how a pastor looks at life. Two broad categories of people, saved and lost. Those who are saved have a measure of understanding of the honor and the deserved reputation that the name Jesus has. And even if it's just a vague understanding, but they still have a measure of understanding of his name. And therefore, the name of Jesus is glorified. When a person recognizes the glory of Jesus, that person is enabled to live day to day in a manner that Jesus desires. And your understanding of his glory can free you from the fear of men. Some words in Acts chapter 5 verse 41 bears this out. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. The reality is that those who do not appreciate the name Of Jesus are afraid to speak the name of Jesus. I submit they are effectively ashamed of the name Jesus. When you honor the name of Jesus you will develop a true indignation against the abuse of his name. It will bother you. It will break your heart when you see or when you hear his name dishonored. You will be be saddened when you hear his name disrespected. It hurts. When someone you know, especially someone you know and knows you, how you feel, especially if they claim to be a follower of Jesus, when they act in a manner contrary to God's righteous ways, that will make you take notice. Because you know that your your Lord's name is being dishonored. As followers of Jesus, we are called to honor his name. And to do that, one important thing that we are called to do is to love one another. When we truly love one another, then we honor the name of Jesus And loving one another is not about the name of our church. It's not at all. I'm proud to call myself a Seventh-day Baptist. We are very unique. I enjoy educating others about the history of Seventh-day Baptists. But our name really does not matter. The name of Jesus is what really matters. His name has priority. What about those who are not Christians? Those who are not Christians have no understanding of the name of Jesus at all. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, they are described by Paul in a couple of ways. Lost and blind. They are lost because if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing And they are blind because the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Those who are not Christians do not realize what they are doing when they dishonor the name of Jesus. They really don't. But when we educate them When they become a Christian, they are suddenly ashamed of their former behavior. A believer desires to live in a way that honors the name of Jesus. So I was thinking about the many historical names we've seen in history. One I picked out is John Newton. His tombstone record revealed that he had a changed heart. Etched into his tombstone was written, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, which is true, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Wow. John Newton never got over being saved. It meant so much to him. And you know, he wrote a famous hymn, Amazing Grace. And the words include, I was once lost, but now I'm found was blind but now i see indeed we who are saved we see the name of jesus to be spoken with honor even if we don't know a lot about jesus a lot about theology doesn't matter we speak the name of Jesus with honor and glory so what do we mean by this word glory we we use it a lot in the Hebrew the word is kabot (laughs) which literally means heaviness or weightiness It was what was impressive or striking. Sometimes it denoted power, sometimes splendor, sometimes radiance, brightness, praise. Sometimes it denoted worth. In the Greek, the word is doxa. We know what that leads to, the doxology, the songs we sing entitled Doxology. Doxology. In the Greek literature, outside of the New Testament, it literally meant opinion, doxa, (laughs) opinion. But in the New Testament, it was meant to mean honor or splendor or radiance. So when we gather all these nuanced definitions together, weightiness, impressive, splendor, radiance, praise, worth... We see that glory makes a person stand out. Glory makes a person stand out. Glory makes other people notice. When you see glory, what you see is distinctive, it's pleasant, it's nice. And it leaves you almost breathless when you see it. It's so powerful. Glory is used in various descriptive ways in the Bible. The glory of Samson was his strength, right? It stood out. The glory of Israel was the Ark of the Covenant. That's what they were known for. People lost their breath if they came close to the Ark of the Covenant. Paul said that man is the image of the glory of God. He also said that the glory of man is Woman, you always hear me say, my wife makes me look good. (laughs) Paul mentioned that the glory of woman is her hair. We can't argue with any of this. We also read in Ephesians, Paul spoke of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul's sufferings stood out. People noticed it. God has glory in mind for each of us. Okay? But this doesn't mean that you will be famous or known as a great thinker or a great speaker or a great singer or a great whatever. But God does want you to be great in one particular area, He wants your glory to be true spirituality. True spirituality and that will only happen through the events of your life. This is one of my themes that I love to talk about how we are on this world in training. Because most often the events in your life teach you spirituality. And sometime, sometimes these events include heartache, difficult problems to deal with, misfortune. And some of us go through some significant suffering. Your physical life is a training ground for what is to come. And scripture points that out. We must all go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You read in Acts. Your life may become great in the eyes of men, but God has something else in mind. It's not your greatness before men that God cares about. God wants you to be glorified. He wants you to stand out as a truly spiritual person. An unpretentious person. Like Jesus. Now, this word pretentious is kind of a big word. You kids, and you're gonna hear this in your life. Pretentious means you're a fake. You pretend to be something that you're not. You pretend to be greater than you are, and you let other people know that you are great. Through the words that you say about yourself, you're a bragger, you are pretentious, you claim something that you are not. We don't want to be pretentious. They are fakers. And when we are pretentious, people can see it. They look right through the facade of pretentiousness. We can pretend to be clever or brilliant, sophisticated, cultured, but that's not spirituality. Peter said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. In due time. Unless you become humble. Unpretentious. Not a faker. Unless you become truly spiritual. All that you seek. While walking the earth. Will not amount to even a small hill of beans In the eyes of God. When you meet him. So now that we're talking about glory and what it really means, it's a concept. I have a question. (laughs) I always do. What is God's greatest creation anyway? God's greatest creation. Is God's greatest creation the expanding universe with all its stars and planets that number beyond our comprehension? You know, we can't even count the number of galaxies. The numbers are so huge. Is that God's greatest creation? Is God's greatest greatest creation planet Earth? Because our planet seems to be the green emerald hanging in space, spinning, in the seemingly incomprehensible barren universe. We don't know. But planet Earth certainly is a gem in the vast solar systems that we've been able to detect. Was God's greatest creation the angels? Or was God's greatest creation humanity? After all, we read in Scripture that we are made in the image of God. Hmm. Let me tell you what the answer is from what we know so far from what I've said. The answer is none of the above. None of what I said is God's greatest creation. King David, he mused on this this very question. We already read what he wrote. Let's read it again. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? So, Imagine, 20 million people all crowded into one city. That's not unusual. There are cities in this world, here on planet Earth, that have 20 million plus people living in their, those cities. For example, you've got Mexico City, Shanghai, Tokyo, Manila, we can't include New York, there are only about 9 or 10 million. But there are quite a few huge cities in this world that house over 20 million people. Now suppose you are hovering above the city at 5,000 feet, looking down (laughs) on the city with 20 plus million people. (laughs) What do you see? you would see tiny little objects swarming around just like an ant farm. Why would God Almighty care about such seemingly insignificant creatures? Mankind doesn't look like God's greatest creation. But there is a connection that mankind has with God There is a connection. God's greatest creation, the pinnacle of his creative work is not the shell of a human being. I know we learned on Star Trek that we're just carbon machines. If you ever watched Star Trek. We learned from scripture that we are just jars of clay. Then, yes, I know we have more intelligence than animals. But so what? Scripture teaches us that angels were created with far more intelligence and power than humans. And Scripture teaches us they were created without bodies that decompose. The real pinnacle of God's creative work is not the angels or mankind The real pinnacle of God's creative work is the creation of his holy, righteous character within individual human beings. Transforming us from godless creatures into something that we could never have imagined we can be. This creation, the holy and righteous character within us is something that we cannot do by ourselves. God can't do it by himself. God can't create by himself a holy righteous character within us. He can't use divine fiat, divine commands, to turn us into righteous human beings. The creation of a holy character Within a person requires the ability of reasoning. It requires decision-making. Of all living beings that God has created, only two that we are aware of, angels and humans, have this ability to think and make decisions. The character of both God the Father and Messiah Jesus is that of spiritual holiness Righteousness. It's the way of God. God will never sin. He will never transgress the law. And now God is molding his righteous character within believers, the followers of Jesus, who by their own choice, with the help of God's Holy Spirit, choose God's righteous way of life. God is creating a family. Each member in God's family chooses to follow Jesus as Lord and Master. God's family will eventually number in the tens of millions. Each member perfectly like-minded with him. I've told you this is one of my favorite topics. We're in training ground here on planet Earth To create this incredible family that God envisioned. First, He made man from the dust of the ground in His own likeness. Then, while still flesh and blood, and after choosing to repent, any human, as a new believer under the guiding power of the Holy Spirit, can begin to develop the character of God. It's a process. And then scripture teaches us that at the resurrection, every member of God's family will be changed to immortality and given new spirit-composed bodies like that of God himself. And then we go to work, transforming the universe. And this usually takes people back when I say this. Well, I love to say this because after all, God promised that there will be no increase of his government, to the end of his government. There, there will be no end. I'm sorry, I said that backwards. There will be no end to the increase of his government. That certainly tells me that we're not going to be limited in eternity future playing a violin, I'm sitting on a cloud somewhere. There's a vast universe out there and scripture tells me there will be no end to the increase of his government we're in training for something that we can't even imagine how great it's going to be when we speak of the glory of jesus we are speaking of the essence of everything that he was Paul said that the very gospel we preach displays the glory of Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. His glory was unique. He never sinned, and we are forgiven because he offered his life and he then rose again from the grave. He was equal with God, yet he emptied himself of his glory that he had in heaven. He never negotiated a release from his destiny to come to this planet Earth. He didn't argue with his father. When you read in scripture that, he said it was his food to do the will of his father. It was his joy. Now we, also, who are finite men and women, we should strive to be spiritual and unpretentious. We don't want to be fake Christians. Why? Because there is coming a day when everyone, every Christian, every Jew, every Muslim, every atheist, every journalist... Every politician, every author, every every man and woman, every child, every person they will all be in perfect agreement as they bow before Jesus and confess his name. We will bow on our knees, scripture teaches us, it teaches us that we should bow. Because of what Jesus went through. But it also teaches us this is an unconditional future promise. Every knee will bow. All of us. All men and women will be on their knees. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know what will happen. God who once said, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. He will say to every person bow to my son and confess that he is your Lord to my glory indeed God calls us to bow before Jesus and worship him yet isn't it wonderful that he calls us brother and sister and friend the firstborn of this huge family that we're a part of and the universe awaits us And then one day in the future, all of us will be bowing before Jesus, giving glory to him and to His Father. Amen. Hallelujah. Majesty
0: Worship His Majesty unto Jesus. Be all glory, power, and praise Majesty Kingdom authority Flow from His throne Unto His own His anthem rays So exalted Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship His majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. So exalt, lift up on high, the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify, Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship in Majesty, Jesus who died, now glorified, King of oh, all kings.